Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Today's scripture reading is John chapter 11, verses 20 through 27. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. John chapter 11, verses 20 through 27. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Well, church family, today we begin a new series called The Art of Friendship, Biblical Wisdom on Making Friends. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be highlighting different biblical friendships. And so today, I want to just prime the conversation by naming this, that Friendships in Los Angeles are difficult, and there's multiple reasons why. One, it's hard because uh, our city is so sprawled out, right? It's a huge city, 10 million people, but all so sprawled out. So you might meet somebody and be like, hey, you're cool. We should hang out. Where do you live? Over there? Yeah, that's never going to happen. Right? So we're sprawled out and we're also spread thin. Right? Uh, a friend of mine refers to the city of Los Angeles as the slash city, which I love. He says it's a slash city because everybody in LA does something slash something else. Right? So I'm a pastor slash musician, right? How many of us have slash in the title, right? Almost all of us do. And so uh, that means that we're spread thin on our time, right? Not to mention it's crazy expensive to live here, and so we have to work a lot just to afford living here. And so it just spreads us thin. So we're spread out, we're spread thin, and then there's also in our city an air of suspicion. Uh, I found this uh, particularly to be the case in uh, the arts community, right? Right? Oh, you're being so nice to me. What do you want? <laughs> right? Are you just trying to get a gig from me? What are you trying to get out of me? Right? So we've got all these things that create such barriers to having friends. Uh, another barrier to having friendship has been the technological aspect of friends. Right? We've tried to take friendship and move it online. But here's the thing. Friendships take time, they take trust, they take charity, forgiveness, repentance. Uh, one author says this, we've built empires of friends, 
which are all subject to our own customizing. I can accept you, mute you, block you, and retweet you. I can stalk you, favorite you, and hashtag you. I may never actually meet you, friend. And of course, I can unfriend you with just one click. Ouch, right? I'm going to heap one other thing on top of the difficulty of friendships, right? We had COVID for two years, right? So we were isolated, locked up in our homes. Friendship is difficult. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at friendships and seeing what we can learn from biblical wisdom. But today, we're going to look at friendship between the sexes. Ooh, often controversial in the church, hopefully not after today. Uh, Show of hands, who grew up with a view that men and women can't be friends? Okay, a lot of people, right? Who grew up with an ideal that we need friendships of the opposite sex in order to flourish? All right, that's, that's actually more than I thought. That's good, that's good. So uh, one of those is biblical. <laughs> one of those is not. I'll let you tell me by the end which one you think is. Uh, I wanna also just give a little uh, credit to uh, today's sermon. Uh, one of the people that has really shaped my thinking on this is an author, a woman named Amy Bird, she has a book called Why Can't We Be Friends that is fantastic, highly recommend it, and uh, indebted to her for uh, so much what I've been uh, studying and learning on this, uh, on this topic. So, let's take a look at how our culture views opposite uh, sex friendships. Uh, if we look at advertising, how are women viewed? They are viewed as sexual objects, right? You can't even sell a paperclip without sexualizing it. And what that does is it puts forward this idea that the ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment we will find in sex. And that is not true. It makes Romantic relationships, the highest form of relationship, and what that does is actually devalues friendship. I want you to think for a moment. If you've ever had a situation where you were with the opposite sex and someone asked about it and they said, oh, they're just a friend. Just a friend? Right? That that's somehow some kind of lower class? Just a friend? In antiquity, friendship was considered the highest love. So people shouldn't be just a friend. This is absolutely a friend. All right. There's our culture's view. I think one place that uh, we've seen it play out uh, is in the movies. Uh, If you're old like me, you probably remember this movie when Harry met Sally, right? And so uh, in the movie, When Harry Met Sally, there's a, a rule that comes up. The, uh, the 
Billy Crystal character, Harry Burns, his rule is this. Men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. It's a very reductionist view, right? That women can be just reduced to this thing, men can be reduced to this thing, and so it just makes it too complicated because at their core, that's who they are, and so we can't be friends. Do you think that that view has crept into the church at all? Yes, yes it has. Uh, Billy Graham in 1948, uh, had a series of meetings in which uh, he came up with, this group came up with this rule. It's known now as the Billy Graham rule. And the rule is this, avoid spending time alone with women to whom they are not married. Now, why would they come up with such a rule? Well, it was thought that would be a great sign of integrity, right? Uh, it would be a way to avoid sexual temptation, uh, to avoid even the appearance of sin, and to protect against false claims. Now, maybe that even sounds kind of noble, but here's the problems with that view. It views women as temptress. It views women like the culture, these are sexual objects, and they are dangerous. And so we tell women, hey, use your attraction to gain a husband, but after that, you are a danger and a threat to every man and every marriage. Another problem with that is that it requires no emotional or spiritual responsibility on men, right? Just stay away. And so, what do you think that might mean for people who are same-sex attracted? If you have to stay away from, uh, you know, a sex that you're attracted to, what does that mean for, for those people? It means complete isolation, right? You can't be friends with men or women. How horrible is that? And so the goal has been to avoid sexual scandal in the church. How's that working out? <laughs> Not too well, is it? Sadly, we just hear news story after news story about church leaders in sexual scandal. And so it doesn't really seem to be working. Well... What are we to do? These rules of just avoid, um, they just try to get at behavior, don't they? They don't really address the heart. And so if we just set up these rules, I think it increases sexual scandal in the church because it says, yes, the opposite sex is just a sexual object. And so even if you try to avoid that, like, ooh, there's still this danger, right? And so we've got to change the way that we think of one another. We can't have rules to just correct behavior. We have to impact the heart. And so what is the biblical 
view. Well, there is a creational good to the sexes. And it starts in this, that God himself is relationship. That is the Trinity. It is three persons in one God. So it's diversity in unity. So God, who he is at his core, is a father delighting in his son through his spirit. Delightful relationship. Knowing and being known. That is good. And when God creates, what he's doing is he's inviting us into that relationship. And so we get the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, and we're told that God makes us as a reflection of himself. The word that's used is image. God makes us in his image. And so if we are to reflect God, we can't do it alone, can we? Because God is relationship. And so we have to reflect God in community then, in relationship. And what God gives us is the opposite sexes to do that. That diversity in the unity of community. And so uh, there is creational good to these differences. And in community, we'll find that we actually learn ourselves better. We come to know ourselves better, right? So when Kirsten and I got married, guess what? I learned a whole bunch about myself, not just her. When we had children, I learned a whole bunch about myself, not just them. And so when we have friendships, it actually becomes this vehicle not to just learn about them, but to learn about us. And when we have opposite sex friendships, even more so, we can learn things about ourselves that we can't learn alone, which is beautiful. The biblical story gives us this beautiful picture. And so um, what we find in the biblical narrative is that Christian brotherhood or friendships or community um, is not something, this is what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, this is not uh, something that we uh, try to realize, or excuse me, it's not an, an ideal that we must realize. He says, it's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And so the Bible gives us this view of healthy siblings, that we're to view one another as brothers and sisters. There's a word that's used over 100 times in the New Testament, and the word is Adelphoi. And often in your Bibles, it's translated as brothers, but it's a familiar term that includes brothers and sisters. And so with that, let's take a look at 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And so this is setting up for us uh, the manner in which we are to treat one another in the church. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Right? So familiar term. Uh, younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. All in purity. Notice there's nothing in there about avoiding. 
right? It's actually, no, treat one another like family members. In the first century, uh, in the first century siblings um, looked a little bit different than they do now. So you had uh, life rates that were shorter, so people didn't live to be as old, and there was a mortality rate in children. So people may have had several children, but by the time you're 15, 20 years old, you might only have one or two left. And so there's this incredible dependence upon siblings, bonding with siblings. Parents would die much earlier than they do now. And so the siblings would really bond together. And so when the scriptures talk about treat one another as siblings, as brothers and sisters, it's this deep connection, this beautiful connection. And so the scriptures call us to transform the way we look at one another uh, into sibling relationships. All right, let's take a look at Romans 12. We're gonna bounce around a little bit today. Uh, Verses nine and 10. There it says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's Adelphoi, so that's brothers and sisters, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. And so we are called to abhor what is evil, to hold fast to what is good, and to deeply love one another as brothers and sisters. It doesn't say, again, avoid friendships in order to avoid sin, but rather to test evil, cling to what is good, love one another's brothers and sisters. Uh, There's a quote by Amy Bird, who I mentioned a little earlier from this book that I love. She says, men and women together bear the image of God in humanity. That means we need to view our brothers and sisters holistically and not just physically. When we look at people as holistic relational beings, we don't reduce them to their bodies and urges. Our femininity and masculinity mean more. Isn't that lovely? All right, let's take a look now at how Jesus is friends with women. You heard the reading a little bit earlier, but I want to back us up to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Wait, what? And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus enters a woman's house at her invitation. Jesus teaches these women. He treats them with honor. He treats them as family, as sisters, and not as threats. He doesn't respond in fear of his own reputation. Oh, what will people think if I enter that house? Right? He he enters the house and he becomes friends with these women. Let's take a look at John 11, verses 20 through 23. So same uh, family here, Mary and Martha. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
and Mary remains seated at the house. And so the story here is the story of Lazarus. So Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus, and he got sick, and he died. They called for Jesus, but he didn't get to him in time, and, uh, and Lazarus died. And so uh, Jesus is entering back into town, and uh, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus deals intimately here with Martha. He doesn't treat her in a group. He doesn't say, hey, let's grab your sister too. We can all kind of talk together. He deals with her one-on-one. He deals with her intimately. She expresses her disappointment to him. That is a picture of intimacy. She expresses her trust in Jesus. Whatever you ask God, he'll give you. And Jesus tells Martha that he is the resurrection, that your hope for your brother is me. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture, beautiful, intimate picture there. All right, let's jump a little further down to verses 32 to 35. Now Mary comes to the scene. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then one of my favorite passages of scripture, verse 35, Jesus wept. And so again, here we see another private encounter with Mary. She also expresses her disappointment with Jesus, and Jesus weeps with her. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't say, hold on, don't cry, just watch what I'm going to do here. He actually enters into the tears. He says, I'm going to weep with you. And he cries with her. What a friend, right? He does something so intimate and so loving, he enters into her grief and he weeps with her. And the Hebrew, uh, excuse me, the Greek words here are not just like single tear cry. This is like ugly cry. He is weeping with her. He doesn't avoid her. He doesn't move away out of fear, but he moves toward her in compassion and love. And then Jesus raises her brother from the grave. We jump forward to the next chapter, and we've got Lazarus and the two sisters now hanging out with Jesus after Lazarus has been raised. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
So the risen Lazarus and the two sisters say, let's have a dinner party. Let's break bread with Jesus. Let's have him into our home and hang out. And while they're there, Mary takes a pound of expensive ointment and she anoints the feet of Jesus and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now here's the thing, Jewish women in that time would never let down their hair. Is Jesus worried about this looking inappropriate? Not at all. But there's somebody else who thinks it's, appropriate, it's inappropriate. You know who that is? Who knows? Judas, Judas. very good. Why does he think it's inappropriate? Hey, that was expensive. We could sell that. And if you remember, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Judas was stealing, right? That's why he thought it was inappropriate because he wanted to have his hands on the money. And so we see a meal together. We see intimate devotion and deep friendship. Jesus does not avoid these women he doesn't act out of fear for his reputation. He treats them like sisters. He doesn't reduce them to objects. He values them as relational beings with infinite worth. This morning we prayed the Lord's Prayer and we prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is do you suppose God's will for the sexes in heaven? Will there be different sexes in heaven? Let me ask it another way. Is Jesus still a man? Yes, yes right? And so we don't cease to be men and women in heaven, do we? The way that we express our sexuality in eternity is not tainted by fear and avoidance, but rather loving community. And Jesus calls us to love that way now. And so that means the way we interact as men and women should look like heaven now. These rules to try to keep purity um, misses what purity is about. Purity is not avoidance. Purity is fixing our hope and our contentment on Jesus. In Luke 20, Jesus is asked about marriages in heaven. There's this question about like, okay, so uh, this woman's husband died, she remarried the brother, they had these kids. Who's, who's she married to in heaven? And Jesus says, there is no marriage in heaven. I heard an amen there. <laughs> that was bold, Sam. That was bold. But funny, but funny. Um, so there's, think about this. Unlike our marriages, friendships will last to the new heavens and new earth. How value, how valuable are friendships? All of this is to point us to Jesus. As we look at these family relationships, 
It is rooted in us knowing Jesus as our older brother. Let's take a look at Hebrews 2, verses 10 and 11, uh, 10 through 12, actually. For it was fitting that he, this is talking about Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's what Jesus does. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. It's Jesus. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, this is what Jesus says in heaven, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Well, Jesus is our ultimate brother in humanity. He is the ultimate big brother who suffers for us and is not ashamed of us. He is the source of our identity. When we see Jesus, we can be like, like a child and looking up and go, that's my brother. That's my big brother. Well, what happened to brotherhood in the fall? If you remember the first set of brothers that were introduced to in the scriptures, Genesis 4, it's Cain and Abel. Let's take a look. Cain spoke to Abel, uh, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What a question, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. A brother is a keeper, a protector. Keep him close, protect him. That's your job. Cain is the first brother that fails, that fails to keep his brother. But Jesus is the ultimate brother who has kept us by faith. And in Jesus, he promises abundant life. John 10, 10 tells us this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so we are to find that life in Jesus, in our older brother. And when Jesus, our older brother, is the source of life, it leads to abundance, to joy, to fulfillment. When we love Jesus, we begin to love what he loves. And so when we love what he loves, that begins to do away with sexism with racism, with ageism, with classism, or with any other kind of behavior that just reduces people. And what Jesus, our older brother, does then is he transforms us into a family. Ephesians 1.5. In love, Jesus predestined us for adoption to himself. Excuse me. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And so by faith, we are adopted into the family of God. And so we are made into brothers and sisters. We are transformed. And our minds 
are then renewed to see one another the way that God sees us. All right, so practically, what does this mean? What does this mean here in Los Angeles for New Creation Church? Well, what I want to see for us is that uh, we continue to move towards recovering sibling relationship in the church. And what a beautiful picture that is to the watching world. How do the sexes treat each other at this place? Not as objects, not as desires, but as family, brothers and sisters. There's an absolute necessity of gendered friendships. Right, because it gives us diversity. We talked about diversity a few weeks ago, that through diversity, we understand the gospel better, that it opens up our blind spots. And so that means that we need one another. Women have a different uh, view of the scriptures than men do. And so we can actually share and point out and observe together and, and come up with different things, right? Because of that diversity, and we can have unity, family unity in that diversity. And so that is why we do co-ed Bible studies, community groups at New Creation, right? We don't say, okay, men go over there, women go over there. We say, no, that's way too important, right? I, want, I don't want to miss out on Audrey's observations. I don't want to miss out on Noel's observations. There's no way I'm removing them from my Bible study. Too important. I lose too much by not having them there. These are my sisters. All right, so that's why we do that. Um, I want us to encourage sibling relationships. So when you come to church, if you're a guy and you just talk to other guys, let me encourage you to build friendships here with women. You will know yourself better. You will know Jesus better by doing it. And the opposite. Women, if you come and you just talk to the ladies and don't ever talk to the guys, talk to the guys. Become friends with them. Get to know them. You will know yourself more. You will know Jesus more by knowing them. You might be thinking, okay, so that all sounds good. How do we protect our marriages, right? What, what is wise here? Is Dan saying like, okay, like, Let's just start uh, having, you know, one-on-ones and we'll take married people and split them up. Like, we don't need to look for opportunities to be alone, but we don't have to avoid it either, right? Um, we need to uh, move forward in wisdom, which means this. If you're a married person, you need to have communication with your spouse. Kirsten always knows who I'm hanging out with. She always knows. There's no secret meetings, right? And I talk to her about who I meet with. We don't keep secrets. She has all my passwords. She can enter any of my emails, social media, Twitter. Those, there's never a single post on Twitter, but that's all right. Uh, nothing to see there, right? No secrets. So uh, we have to communicate. And when we do that, we'll be stronger, right? And those other friendships will actually be a benefit to our marriage. So uh, we need to be wise, but not just set up fences and boundaries to protect from behavior. We've got to move toward the heart. So church family, we are a family. 
We are brothers and sisters who need one another. And we can only know Jesus in those relationships. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for friendship. Lord, we give you thanks for our older brother who has uh, brought about sibling relationships in this new family you call your church. And so, Lord, I pray for deep friendships in this place between men and women that we could know you more, that we could know ourselves more by knowing one another more. And so, Lord, give us wisdom to enter into those. And, uh, Lord, I pray for as the, uh, the watching world observes that they would see something beautiful, that they would see people who don't reduce one another to desires and urges, but see each other holistically, relational beings who have infinite value and worth. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ways that you model this kind of friendship, how you uh, are not afraid of your reputation, but uh, Lord, you move toward the opposite sex uh, in love and compassion. And so help us to do the same. Help us to live it out as we, uh, as we do our community groups here, as we uh, fellowship at, uh, at the table and homes and here at church. Uh, bring us together. Make us more and more like a family. I ask it in the name of Jesus and the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.